church about how there is a spiritual impact or a discipleship impact or a spiritual formation impact of learning how to be people who give as God gives and mirroring God's grace and love that God gives us by giving that to others. The first week of the sermon series, we heard from 2 Corinthians about how God loves a cheerful giver, about how giving financially really is something that is supposed to be something God wants us to give out of people who love God and Jesus, and we don't give out of, um, we don't really give out of this feeling of, of I got to give because I have to, obligation, but we give because we're generous people and we're stewards of what God's given us. So we give back a portion of what God has given to us to, to make the world more like God wants it to be, to help this good news of Jesus be spread. We give it as people who have hearts that have God's grace in it and not only just bitterness that can happen. Last week we talked about how giving is also can be seen as a way of worship. We heard from Romans about how God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and how it's a paradigm shift of thinking I'm here to give to God. It's a paradigm shift of saying I don't show up today to get my cup filled only. I'm here to receive, receive, receive. I'm here to worship God. I'm here to give to God an act of worship. And I believe I will encounter God in this space and I will receive the Holy Spirit. But the paradigm shift is I'm coming here to worship God because we all worship something. You worship something, I worship something, and God's the only being that deserves our worship. And last week we talked about how we believe when we encounter God when we come in as people who are here to praise God and not consume. And today we're talking about how we're called to give beyond finances, giving of something else in addition to our finances, about giving of some of the gifts God give us. I'm reading today from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Now, 1 Peter is a letter in the New Testament. It's written from Rome, most believed by, by Peter. And this is written when people thought the end was near. Just for context, people thought Jesus was coming uh, day after Tuesday, right? You know, you know, a week from Sunday, whatever. Jesus is coming imminent. They believed at this time that Jesus would come any minute, which we believe today. But they were really, really anticipating the end was near. So with that background, let's hear God's word today from 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever. Amen. Church, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Let us pray. Almighty and generous God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross so that our focus is on you this morning and not me. And as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds today, so the things we say and the actions we take reflect Jesus. Amen. This was written when they thought the end was near and you heard that at the start. And this is written to people encouraging them to be good stewards. It started out with something funny. It's a scripture that I've always wondered what it meant. I've always wrestled with this one line. You probably heard it. Um, Above all, love, because love covers a multitude of sins. Have y'all heard that before? You know, I've always wondered, does that mean as long as I love, I can sin as much as I want to? <laughs> right? Is it some kind of balancing act? Right? What does that really mean? I think it echoes other parts of Scripture, if you ever wondered about that verse. The Bible has these echoes. It has these themes that you kind of hear. and You have one verse here, and you think about other verses over there. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 22, love Lord your God with your heart, your mind, and your soul. That's the first and greatest commandment. And just like it is love your neighbor as yourself. There's something about love. That's echoed in Galatians 5, 13, where Paul says the entire law can be fulfilled with a single commandment, to love your neighbor. So we know there's a theme of love throughout Scripture. And this echoed in that Peter reading. Don't forget to love, because love can cover up a multitude of sins. Remember, as you're doing things, as you're starting, you're starting out, don't forget to love. To me, it's almost like you have to start somewhere. i got to start somewhere. I'll start being a loving person. I used to paint some, you know, and I would go, and I would go to an art lesson, and it was a canvas, and it was like an oil canvas. And you start out with a blank canvas, right? It's this white canvas. And my art teacher would always say, well, Jim, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> you you, you, know, you got to start painting somewhere, right? You may mess up as you learn to paint, make mistakes, but learn from them. You don't have to make the same mistakes again, but get started. Love covers a multitude of sins. Get started being this loving person God wants you to be, right? Start painting on that canvas God gives you. It doesn't mean that you just don't try to stop doing harm and stop sinning. Of course we do. We're striving for Christian perfection. But don't be afraid to go in and start loving because love covers a multitude of sins. And then 1 Peter moves to this idea of being hospitable. You heard it. Be hospitable people. Be people who give freely. If somebody wants to come to your house and stay, or wants to have you do something to help them, if somebody says, help me, you know, do it graciously. Don't be bitter about it. Don't do it begrudgingly. Oh man, my neighbor called and wants me to help them because I got this going on. Golly, I had something planned today. Be hospitable people. Then it moves to something we're going to spend more time on this morning. It was use these gifts and graces that God has given you. Use them. Use these gifts and graces. And then there's two things that's talked about here. Do these things and, and use the words. 
Use words that reflect who God is. And then use actions, right, that show who God is. It talks about words and actions, and it talks about gifts. Now, I've heard many sermons about gifts and graces. I was, I'm a second career pastor. I sat in the pews or chairs for years. And I've always wondered about when people talk about God's gifts and graces, what does that mean? It means that we all have some gifts, some unique gifts God gives us. Something unique like the keys. Some people are great at speaking in public. Some people are great and, and feel more called to pray. Some people feel more called to go build a wheelchair ramp. People have different graces. But this is more general. We're all called to do something. And summer in college years ago, I'm old, right? Years ago, I worked for this organization called the Appalachia Service Project. It was a home repair ministry in the mountains where youth groups from all kinds of churches, mostly Methodist churches, would come in the summer, stay a week, do home repair, and go home. We'd be there for eight weeks at a school in different places throughout Appalachia. And when I was on staff, we would use this cheap lumber called rough cut lumber. It's like you go to a sawmill. And you buy wood that's been cut from logs, but not finished. You know, it's, got, it's not finished, it's rough. You rub your hand over it, you'll get splinters all in your hand. It's called rough cut lumber. And every now and then, um, and we would use that for siding on houses. We would put it as board and batten siding. You put like a large board, and over the seam you put a small board of this rough cut lumber. And every now and then, one of us would have to go early in the morning to the sawmill and make a sawmill run. You would leave the place before the sun came up. You would drive, or in my case, it was about an hour, to a rough-cut sawmill, and you would buy a pickup truck load of rough-cut lumber. Now, the sawmill, there was something I'll never forget. I've never seen it since. There was a machine that cut the boards out, and the boards would come on this conveyor belt. And there was a gentleman who walked on the conveyor belt. He had on blue pants and work boots and a field jacket and a hat. And he would walk on this conveyor belt. Kind of moonwalking. He would walk but not move, right? Because the belt was moving under him. He had a long stick. And then the stick was this piece of green chalk. And as the boards would go under him, he would mark the boards and score the boards. He'd just sit there. He'd be walking and moving, but he's not moving from my vision because the conveyor's moving. It's like, Einstein's theory of relativity, right? It's moving and happening. And he would, he would mark the boards. Some graded higher, some graded lower, some graded medium. And based on the mark, that's what they did with the lumber. Some lumber went, I'm sure, to use some structural things, some fine furniture. Some had a bunch of knots in it, didn't look good, was used for something else. Sometimes when I heard sermons, I felt like, the gifts we have were kind of graded by God. Some people had these great gifts, and some people had medium gifts, and some people had these low gifts that really did not matter. That's not what God's gifts are about. That's not what 1 Peter's talking about. This whole sermon series is about how we are all created in God's image. We all have gifts that are powerful and matter. And when Peter says in here, when you speak, use words that reflect God, 
That's a gift we all can have. And when Peter says, do something as an act of service, that's something we all can do. For instance, the person who sends a card when they see the prayer list come out and says, hey, I'm so sorry of your loss. I'm thinking of you. That is just as meaningful in God's kingdom as the person who stands up here on Sunday and preaches. You know, the person who is the usher today and says, welcome, I'm glad you're here. Can I answer any questions? The person that shows hospitality is just as important as the liturgist this morning. The person who coordinates our real wheelchair ramp ministry, right? Who has this skill that can build and design wheelchair ramps at the right slope, that uses their gifts from our men's group, is just as valuable, right? It's just as valuable as the person who makes prayer shawls and can knit and prays over these. It's not like God is scoring us and some of us have higher gifts than others. We're all one body and we are many members and all the members matter. We all have something to give. And Peter says when you do something, when you use words, make sure they reflect who God is. What I take from that is memorize some scripture. Have one or two verses that you've memorized. Memorize the scripture. Maybe it's from the Gospel of John. You know, um, maybe it's you must be born from above, right? Maybe it's the one from Romans last week. We must be transformed by the renewings of our minds. Maybe it's, it's the one I just shared. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. It's the greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. When you use words, memorize some scripture. And when you share with things and you share with people, when you're at that card, you have a scripture verse that matters to you. When you're at somebody's home and you're serving, you have a scripture verse that matters to you. Find one or two or three verses that are your verses. Memorize them. And then you use words that reflect who God is from, from the words that God gives us. And then he says, in addition to words, also serve. When we use words and serve, it's like, it's like a refreshment stand. These things Peter's talking about is refreshments, sharing words of hope and good news and, and who Jesus is and inviting people to know Jesus. It's like our refreshment stand, our coffee stand out here. I think Marty was out there this morning, right? Right? You walk in, it's great to have coffee and some snacks. It's refreshing. The summer there was a kid in our neighborhood, guess what they were selling? Lemonade, right? Yeah, they had the lemonade stand, right? It was refreshing. It was a hot day, I was cutting my grass. I'm like, you know, I'll go spend a dollar and get a little thing of, of lemonade in a Dixie cup, right? Why not? It was fantastic. It was refreshing. When we serve other people, when we give beyond our finances, we need people who say, look, God's empowered me to share good news, use words that build up by memorizing scripture, and have that act of service. Then I do things that point to who God is. 
There's many ways to serve in our church. You can sing in the choir. You can serve as an usher or greeter. You can be in our prayer shawl ministry that meets here during the week. You can help United Methodist men to build accessibility ramps for people who need them. Because when something happens and you need an accessibility ramp, those are hard to make happen. You can help with children's church. You can provide a meal for the youth group that meets on Sunday nights. There are so many ways that we can engage. And that's just through the church. Maybe more important is what you do with your neighbors around you. People who live around you, as you help them and encourage them and support them. Find ways to serve. It doesn't have to be through the church. It can be where you are right now, at your job, at your home, in your subdivision. Then Peter moves at the end of this section I read. The fancy word we say as preachers is the pericope. Into this little section, make sure that all things point to God. Make sure everything points to God. Make sure what we're doing points to who God is. Points to the power of the cross and the resurrection. Points to the invitation of forgiveness of sins and hope. Points to the gift of eternal life. When I worked for ASP, one thing I wish I could do better if I had a do-over, I would have given more glory to God in things than I did as a college student. I remember at the end of a project, somebody might build something on ASP. Maybe they fixed the kitchen or they built a ramp. They would take what I call the trophy shot, right? Take a shot of everybody on the finished project smiling, no? And I wish I would put a caption on those pictures that said, all this because of who God is in my life. That's why I'm here. I wish when I was younger, when somebody said, thank you, Jim, for helping us. When I worked for ASP, I wish I said, I do this because this is who God is. Everything we do, I think there's, there's the implicit we point to God. But as Methodists, I think we can grow being explicit on pointing to God. I grew up in a really small town called Onionta, Alabama. I grew up on a farm outside of a 4,000-person town. And the town had uh, two large churches, other churches too, but two large churches. One was the Methodist church, and then one was the Baptist church. And we were kind of across from each other with City Hall in the middle, right? A county seat community. And I went to the Methodist church, and I had friends that went to the Baptist church, and friends went to all kinds of churches. But I was in topping class it was 10th or 11th grade whenever we had to take topping. Um, it was like a class. And I sat next to Holly Hansen, right? And Holly Hansen went to the Baptist church, and I went to the Methodist church. And we were talking one day about churches, because sometimes I would go to the Baptist church to maybe see some friends do something in worship, or there was a special fellowship of Christian athlete thing there that I went to. And sometimes folks would come to the Methodist church, the youth, because we had something special going on. Maybe it was some kind of cantata. Or maybe FCA, we had a presentation here, whatever it was. We would go to different churches. And I was talking to Holly Hansen about our two different churches. And one thing she said stuck in my mind, I never forgot. Holly said, Jim, when I go to the Methodist church, y'all talk about John Wesley, who founded the Methodist church. So y'all go to the Methodist church, y'all talk about John Wesley. In my church, we talk about Jesus. And that stuck with me. I don't talk about John Wesley much in worship. I do some. 
But it's because, but I want to make sure John Wesley points us to Jesus. When we read uh, the letter from Peter, Peter's pointing us to Jesus, right? When we read the Apostle Paul, Paul's pointing us to Jesus. All these things we do, we want to not forget to be explicit in sharing why we do what we do. We want things to point to Jesus. All this is about relationships. All this is about who God is and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other because love covers a multitude of sins.